Welcome to The Golden Shadow. My name is Aaron Rogerson. And I'm Melissa Polizzi. Today we're exploring the concept of self. And this is a deep, abstract concept. There's been a lot of discussion about the self for a very long time. And we're going to do a bit of a rehash of a lot of the concepts we've already covered in the podcast, such as conscious versus unconscious archetypes and individuation because those all tie into this concept of the self. And to illustrate that, the ego and the unconscious are two different ways that we talk about the self. The ego is this notion of the autobiographical I, or the conscious experience, or whatever we're referring to when we say me, I. This is the the ego, the sense of my story, the thing that is keeping track of your trajectory and trying to make sure that you stay on the right path, the thing that experiences cognitive dissonance and tries to um, negate or reject anything that conflicts with its story, the ego is doing this. And so when we say me, I, what we mean is not often the entire self because there's this whole realm of the unconscious, there's this whole realm of the shadow that we are not in touch with. And that's part of the theme of all these episodes is getting in touch with the shadow, getting in touch with that thing that we cannot see, the thing that we're not paying attention to, the thing that we want to banish away from us. So when we talk about the self, we don't mean the ego, but we also don't just mean the unconscious. So what do we mean? In some ways, we're starting to tap into the totality of who we are and when we speak about the ego, there's kind of this misconception that that's all that we are, Mm -hmm. everything in the light of our awareness, everything that we are conscious of, um, that is ego. And when we maybe haven't kind of built our, uh, psychological muscles very much, Mm -hmm. we have a weakness towards really that perception. And so starting to grow and to mature is to realize these deeper layers of who we are. And then we start to push into the shadow and the personal unconscious and all of these other layers of our being but who are we in total what is this maybe sense of who we are outside of even just that everyday narrative something that kind of drives us um, whatever gives us this sense of who we're meant to be or who we are in total that's the self right so if I if I make a comment towards Alyssa and I say you know, it doesn't seem like you're doing very well. Mm-hmm. And Alyssa's response is, no, I'm fine. But I can tell that she's not fine. Mm. Who's the thing that's saying I'm fine? Mm. And what am I seeing that's different than that? Right, right? right. So there's this weird thing going on where we, we see that the, the self is actually divided. There's different realms of the self. And it's not dualistic as if there's this conscious and unconscious. There's there's all these different things, these different processes that are, that are happening within us. There's also the body, the body and the mind. Mm-hmm. The notion of like, well, is your hand part of the self Mm. it's like well yeah it's like okay but the the hand is that part of the mind Mm. we get confused right and we have trouble really entertaining this concept but um i see Alyssa sitting across from me right now and i say you seem like you're a certain way right now and she might reject that she might say i'm fine no i I don't i don't actually feel compromised in any way Mm. and so how can we make sense of this what 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 is the real true self who are you or um how can we think about ourselves as something more than just an object right now mm. there might be this notion of 
the self as something that stretches through time. Mm-hmm. It's more of a process rather than just an object. And again, this gets into some difficult questions. It gets into some abstract realms of taking apart reality and saying, what do we mean? So a, a place where we might start with this is this notion of nature. Mm, yeah, yeah. So if we have like a human nature, sometimes if we're talking about psychological nature, we get into this concept of archetypes. Right. Right? Yeah. And what do we mean when we, when we say archetype? Archetypes are these organizing principles of experience. You can kind of think about them as these inherent primordial frameworks, um, the same way that we have these bodily biological instincts so do we also have these psychological instincts, things that allow us to orient towards the world and make sense um, by kind of ordering certain experiences or inherently understanding the relationship to uh, the mother or the father or the relationship towards play and camaraderie, yeah. these things that just seem to come natural to us. Um, and those archetypes kind of form into psychological patterns, but they also kind of image out into culture. And so you see them present in mythology and in in our and in society in a way that is very um, measurable. Right, right. And it's hard to, to separate the nature from the nurture. And that's what makes discussion about these things difficult. But um, the hero's journey is an archetype that we've brought up many times before. But the, the hero's journey is something that is... It can be sort of slightly relativistic because there's many different hero's journey stories. There's mm-hmm. a lot of variation mm-hmm. within that, and it may, you know, depend on your personal experience, the way that you perceive the hero and the hero's journey. But we all experience the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. We're all able to watch a movie and follow what's happening mm-hmm. and say, that was a good movie or that was a bad movie. And we can often agree on these things. Yeah. Why did the, Why was this movie bad? You know, it's like, well there wasn't a character development and also the, the villain didn't seem very believable and mm-hmm. the hero didn't really actually seem that heroic to me. The whole, the whole, the fact that we can have a discussion and sort of come to some agreement about what makes a good story and what doesn't make mm-hmm. a good story. Um, that's showing some sort of universal structure to our psychology. It's yeah. shared. We share some sort of nature between us. But in addition to that, there's uh, an individual nature. Mm-hmm. So, I have a personality that's unique to me and I feel very in touch with that personality. And this isn't something that I've just purely acquired through experience. Like I was born this way. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a psychological structure that's inherent to me as an individual. Yeah. It's what kind of gives you this unique aura. Each person isn't just a carbon copy of the other. There's inherent structures as we're talking about things uh, like these containers that that need to be filled, and maybe certain patterns are um, maybe just something more resonant to one individual versus the other. Like I might relate more to the archetype of like the magician or something, and someone else maybe to the archetype of the warrior. Like who knows? Mm-hmm. But within that space of of our kind of basic human nature, we then have um, this inherent personality or this inherent uh, psychological structure that makes us this dynamic, unique being. And Mm. in some ways we're kind of living our entire life trying to fulfill that possibility, like that blueprint in a way. Right. Another, another basic example of archetypal structures is that babies recognize human faces Mm. very, very early. Mm. So the human face is an archetype Mm. and we can see this is pretty prominent because we see, we see human faces in lots of things where there are no human faces, like in the clouds or 
um, there's a lot of human form that we bake into our mythology mm. that clearly shows that we have this deep internal nature of recognizing human form. Mm. And the human face is something that the smile and the frown, uh, babies recognize this. Mm. They're, not, they're not taught this. They're, they come out of the womb understanding the human face. And so the human face is an archetype in some sense mm. where it's based on some sort of archetypal structure that we all share and there's variation with that, but you, you can see these patterns everywhere, these universal patterns that all humans seem to share. They seem to interpret things a certain way. We look at water and we see something beautiful that we know that we can drink, that we find refreshing. And um, perhaps we see something that has large teeth and there's this reaction of fear um, where we run away from it. And this is a universal thing that humans experience. So that structure sort of guides the architecture of our development mm. and our psychology. Mm. But what is the nurture aspect of this yeah. of development and becoming? I think um, we can kind of use the the more Jungian term of, of that, those structures of nurtured psychology as the complexes. Mm. And, you know, this is definitely a term that a lot of people are probably familiar with, but maybe more in the pejorative sense, like, yeah. you know, he's got an Oedipal complex or he's got a power complex. We, right. we have kind of taken that word and have used it to kind of understand someone who's got an issue around some sort of subject matter. Mm. And that's maybe a, a place to start with complexes because yeah. they're anchored in something and that something is an archetype. Right. So the uh, the complex is really built around this center of of archetypal nucleus. It's it's this thrumming with power and energy uh, center that almost like draws experience to it. And so mm -hmm. the archetype of the mother, you might say, this inherent pattern that we're born with, uh, starts to create the mother complex inside of us, which is that um, our experiences to our personal mother get drawn like like a star. It gets drawn into um, the gravitational pull of the archetype. And so we start to associate what mother means by our own personal experiences, which could be like really great or maybe not so great, depending on how those um, childhood experiences went. It informs how we look at um, ideas of nurturance or creation um, or empathy and compassion, all of that is kind of formed um, into this complex structure. And they have this tendency to be very deeply moving, very feeling toned, the ideas, the emotions, the affect that are all tied into the complex um, really kind of tell us what our nurture is. It, it goes from being almost an impersonal pattern of mother to my mother or the mother I read about in a story. And all of that mm -hmm. informs how you orient to the world and how you understand um, mothering. Right. So using this example of, of the mother complex. So that's there's a mother archetype. Mm -hmm. We all come into the world with sort of this... Uh, this place in our mind, you might say a hole or um, a kind of niche, perhaps, where or a, a need, even a need, mm. um, where a mother should be. Mm. And most of us hope we have mothers as we grow up. Maybe some of us don't, um, but that that part of our psychology is ready to grow and develop around some sort of um, figure that is nurturing and keeps us safe, hopefully, mm -hmm. and that we learn from, and that provides us with things and um that nature is in there that structure is yeah. built in mm -hmm. but as we 
grow in the world and as we become because we are creatures of learning and creatures of adaptation and uh, change and humans very much are adaptable compared to other species um, that archetype uh, gains a sort of constellation of experiences yeah. and pathways mm-hmm. um, that are sort of carved into it almost and you get this thing that we're calling a complex yeah. and these complexes form the building blocks of who you are mm-hmm. and it's not just experience it's not yeah. just nurture yeah it's also not just nature mm-hmm. it's sort of they're coming together so this this skeleton of our being is filled out with like the flesh of the complex yeah and that's this nature nurture thing going on yeah that you know the complexes are sort of thought of as existing under say like the layer of consciousness mm. so all of these big powerful moving pieces that are informing us even when we're not totally aware of it like we're mm. not thinking of the personal mother how that's connected to the archetypal mother and maybe like the mother image of like Hera the Greek goddess it's like it's all just happening instinctively so that is kind of rooted in this deeply personal unconscious layer of our psyche and Mm -hmm. that's really helping us to not only kind of understand these experiences that we have but it's in some ways shaping the trajectory of who we are or kind of informing the totality of ourself and in which of these complexes feel the most powerful which of them have these maybe strong negative pulls i think Mm -hmm. often a lot of times when we begin doing a lot of inner self-work and development we have to uncover that layer um, kind of below consciousness and start to dive deep into the complexes and really figure out like what's sitting there in a way that has a lot of tension or a lot of trauma. That's why where we start to get into the negative complexes mm. and really kind of come to more understanding um, and integrate those layers that have been um, kind of put into you maybe in a, in a way that isn't, isn't quite um, assisting you in growing towards that um, path of wholeness and individuation. Right. So if we look at the the pattern of growth of humans, there's, again, the, these, they're almost stereotypes, but stereotypes are based on truth. There are these ways that people develop into adults mm-hmm. that we all kind of share. And it's yeah. never exactly the same. Everyone's life is unique. But even though the life is unique, we all seem to kind of have these shared patterns of coming of age mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of sometime between the ages of like 10 and 20, you go through all these changes that are very archetypal that are sort of inherent to the structure of our bodies and mm-hmm. of our minds. And so, um, a lot of these, uh, experiences, we can have stories about them. We can have movies, yeah. coming of age movies. And the reason that we can find these movies enjoyable is because we relate to them because we all have the shared archetypal structure of becoming. But within that, there is your unique experience. There is your unique conditioning, your unique training. And those are also um, patterns that we see in many people. So this notion of the inferiority complex, let's say. Mm -hmm. And that's a stereotypical use of the complex. Again, the pejorative sort of notion sure. of complex. And that's it's not just pejorative. We're talking about these sort of acquired building blocks of personality. But um, someone who is growing and becoming an adult, um, maybe they've had their feelings of agency and power robbed from them. Right. Or maybe they had a bad experience at one point that where, you know, maybe they were beat up when they were really young. And then they 
felt weak from that point on. They felt mm. this need to really prove their strength after that, or maybe yeah. they had a, a father who was abusive and maybe egged them on to be tough and to yeah. not cry. And sort of they developed this notion of like, I have to be strong. I have to be strong. And, um, so this notion of complex is it's playing off of an archetype, right? And so maybe the inferiority complex is playing off of the, the archetype of self-worth. Yeah. Or personal power, maybe personal power mm-hmm. or agency mm-hmm. again, or in men, perhaps it's pointing off this notion of like a warrior archetype sure. is that men are sort of built to um, have a capacity for violence and maybe to find some sort of pride in being strong and being able to inflict violence because that's what the warrior does. And that's not always a negative thing. At least in the past, it wasn't always viewed as a negative thing as, as far as the tribe goes. But these archetypes are. Um, the structure upon which the complexes, again, sort of get built and they become these building blocks. And um, if we were going to get like deeper into this, let's say we could we could reflect on ourselves and maybe that would be, be useful mm-hmm. in some senses. Um, there's a trajectory of my becoming of where I started out and where I've sort of arrived at that I think is very masculine. Mm. I think I have a very masculine story. I think the the experience I've had has been very much this um, sort of path of the male hero in some sense, and there's been a lot of ups and downs. There's been kind of falling into a deep weakness sometime from between ages like 10 and 13, and then there's sort of a, a rise back up and ascending and sort of finding power and being someone who is more aggressive and more assertive and uh, more independent and more in charge. And these are all um, different ways in which my experience has shaped me. Mm. And so I'm still the archetypal warrior. I'm still the archetypal male, let's say. Um, There's this notion of like being fatherly. Mm. That is sort of an archetype. And there's, there's things in me that are playing with this sort of pattern, this structure. Yeah. And it just depends on my experience. And so perhaps um, I felt really weak for a while and I developed this inferiority complex mm. and I had to do a lot to sort of counteract that and sort of what that might have looked like is like uh, being superior and like trying to overcompensate. Right. Like I'm a superior person. Um, but uh, these these structures are changing and they're, they're, the constellations around these archetypal structures are changing as we develop and as we grow. And they're heading in a direction that is trying to more or less become whole, balanced, or complete. Yeah, your point is interesting because I think it brings up a bit of the tension of the maturation of our being because... You know, if we if we're considering that there is some totality of self, some higher version of who we're meant to be, something that's driving us forward, who we are almost like unblemished, then we get into this raw reality that's dirty and violent and also beautiful mm. and scarring and all of these. It's just we just take all these wounds it, like really to me, life is um, uh, the challenges and the collisions that we have are these stress points that push us to the boundaries of what we thought was possible or who we thought we were. And in some ways, we we haven't quite 
come into realization of our total potential and these challenge points, these um, you can almost call them initiations are mm. points where we can see the divergence from who we are presently and the the density of some type of experience we're having versus, you know, who we're meant to be. And, and there's like this disparity. There's like this division in those moments sometimes when we realize like, how did I get to this point? Or why do I feel so weak? Or where is the strength that I thought I had? Hmm. Um, it, it's, it's like these moments of, of, of raw consciousness in a way. And so being, raised in some sort of environment that's led to an inferiority basically we're almost like being offered an opportunity to see that wounding and to understand it and maybe integrate some sort of experience some sort of lesson but through that what happens what is the telos like what is the goal here what are we gaining from it hmm. and i think that's where the reframing of some of these experiences kind of falls in line with the narrative of the self or or, or the becoming aspect is that mm. these uh, at least like on the negative end those complexes the, inf the inferiority complex is is an opportunity to grow into more of who we are meant to be and i think even at the center of most of our kind of I don't know, the most painful issues that we that we face, the things that cause that those kind of like neurotic splits in us, anxiety, depression, yeah. trauma, is some sort of uh, nurtured complex that is off with who we're really meant to be. And when we realize that, it's like, oh my God, I mean, it's me, but it's not me. How can I not be defined by what my nurture was or what my past was and instead step more into my being? Um, yeah. How can you reflect upon your own history, mm. your complexes? My complexes. So um. I mean, you you have a, you have a you have a nature, right? You sure. were born a certain way. You sure. have a personality that's clearly unique to you, a person mm -hmm. that you really are deep down. Yeah. But that's you've had a certain experience. You've been conditioned a certain way. Yeah. And what are those building blocks for you, and how might you reflect upon them? Well, I think like my my biggest kind of like tension of opposites that I feel inside of myself is mm. an inherent nature of uh, power and possibility and like loving compassion that is met with, um, you know, a nurtured history of loss and like disappointment and um, kind of like uh, kind of hardship. You know, mm. I, I was raised in a really chaotic uh, family situation and that to me at a very young age instilled a sense of not being, I think, safe in the world is maybe yeah. uh, the word that comes to mind. And that feeling of like the family unit, the parental unit, the sibling unit that's supposed to create this um, this container of of like love and safety was kind of fractured at a young age. Mm. And that I think has always been a serious point of tension of who I feel I am at my core because there's this nurtured aspect, you might call it like my family complex, that seems to be in opposition with what I feel the world is really about. And and mm. part of my inner development and growth is reconciling these differences and holding the tension of both of them and not succumbing to the pressure or not succumbing to like 
you know, people are awful. The world's a terrible place. Like it's holding on to hope and possibility because there's something so deep within me that feels like it's, it's like, it's real. Those things I feel are real. Who I can be is real. But if I look at like what the reality of thing is, it's like, oh my God, that's, that can be extremely overwhelming. Right. Yeah. So you have like, you have a a very feminine story, Mm. I would say. That's true. You have have a nature to you that I think is very motherly Mm -hmm. and very family oriented. And I think that's, that's pretty clear. Like that's the way you were born. Someone who is like very, um, open-hearted mm-hmm. and loves easily and yeah. is very kind and kind of wants to sort of like this feeling function we discussed before, mm-hmm. like very, very dominant feeling function, but yeah. wanting to sort of maintain a coherency of social dynamics mm-hmm. that is very intimate and safe and mm-hmm. trying yeah. to welcome people into that energy all the time. I say that's very much your nature yeah. and I can see that as being like the way that you were born, the way that you probably were as like a little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> But you know the world is is kind of tough and screwed up, and a lot of a lot of the modern experience is one of sort of being out of our depth or being someplace we don't really belong. Where it's like, well, I all my instincts are pointing me sort of in a in the wrong direction. It seems yeah, like yeah. I want to love openly, and I just gotta be, end up getting hurt a lot. Yeah. And I want to bring people into a family, but it doesn't seem like people can handle being very close. And instead, it just creates conflict and strife. And, um, yeah, I think the, I think the narrative is not, um, a rare one. I think actually like the more that I meet other people or, you know, the more that I open up with friends, it's like, wow, we all have a similar story here. Yeah. You know, there's some sort of like maybe disconnection on a collective level of like who we're meant to be and how mm-hmm. we're meant to be living yeah. and, and it's, and it's broken in some way and it's right. causing a lot of hardship and strife in all family units. Right. Right. So you have... And I mean, again, not not just you, you might say like a lot of young people probably, maybe we're not young anymore, but a lot of people that are our age, mm. who knows about the generation following us. That would be, uh, <laughs> be interesting to see. But um, the, these complexes, this notion of like, we have a nature yeah. and, you know, in my opinion, that nature is something that is, can be explained very well from an evolutionary perspective. The, the idea of the tribe, mm-hmm. we want to be in a tribe. We really want to have loving relationships. We want to be close. And that's sort of the archetypal structure of us. Sure. Right. But the experience, the path through life, um, it teaches you that you need to behave a certain way if you're going to stay safe. Mm. And then you try these things and they don't work out. And you realize, well, that was a mistake. I need to be more cautious. I need to be less trusting. Mm. Uh, Getting close to people is actually really complicated. Maybe I can't get close to people. Um, Trying to have like a tribe exist, that doesn't seem to work very well either. People kind of seem to need their own spaces. They need to be in their own cubicles and everyone's put into the internet and they're all going in different directions. And the idea of a coherency, a social coherency is actually really difficult. And so everyone develops these complexes Mm. and everyone has these deep insecurity complexes, you might say, or that they have an association with like the love, sorry, the love complex, the love archetype, like the lover's archetype, the Mm. sort of union of man and women, perhaps there's something really screwed up about that. Mm. And you develop this complex of, um, I don't even know if we can give it like nice shiny names to work with them, but like, you know, a, com- a complex, the building blocks of your romantic experience, let's say, might be one where it's like, you can't trust people. Sure. And those, that's like, is that your nature? Is your right. nature to be someone who just runs away all the time? Mm. Is, is your nature to be someone who just feels like you can't really open up and trust anyone that like romantic interactions are just sort of this um, me versus you kind of thing. Like we're in a competition and we need to make sure 
that like you get hurt before I do. And that's like the game we're playing. It's like, that's right. not natural. That's not really our archetypal structure. That's not really right. um, how we're meant to be. And so these complexes develop and a lot of them, you know, there's a reason that a lot of these complexes have these pejorative connotations. Yeah. But you're, you're also tapping into the realization that these, um, what seems like a very personal experience, my personal experience of this archetype informs this building block, which is my complex. It's like that ripples out. And so families have collective complexes. Societies right. have right. collective complexes, right. you know, like groups of individuals in any way, you know, you know, um, whether that's um, political parties or religious denominations, it's mm. th the complex exists there too. And so we can see these collective patterns where like, what is the modern dating complex? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's... It's I like think most really pathological. Yeah, very pathological, right? Yeah. But it's like it, it, we can't seem to break out of it. Everyone's stuck in it, and it's like, yeah. what do we need to transcend the complex? We need to realize who we are really meant to be, or how we're really meant to act in the world, and find more—I don't know—vulnerability and openness and lines of communication, and maybe rewrite some of our relationships with technology, and maybe that gets back to the heart of like the mythic archetype rather than kind of this murky, dark, kind of uh, broken version of, of, of dating that we find ourselves in. Right. So these, these complexes as something that we can interact with or something that maybe we can recognize and that there is a, again, archetypal structure to our being that is leading us towards being more complete and being more whole. Mm. And there's something about that that sort of transcends the complex is almost like yeah. what, what is the thing that takes the inferiority inferiority complex mm -hmm. and tries to bring it back into balance right to take that complex and sort of reintegrate it into a complex that's more balanced right um well the, the Jungians would call that the archetype of the self right and yeah. that is definitely something that in at least in that theoretical framework is driving consciousness to realize these these parts of our being and to at the same time uh, differentiate from them so that we don't fully identify with this type of complex or this shadow material. Mm. But as we kind of pull these pieces of ourself apart and realize all the layers and all the pieces, we can kind of put it back together again. And so we move towards a wholeness in that way. Yeah. So the, the archetype of the self, um, this, this structure of, of who we are, it's like a natural thing. It's, it's perhaps something that transcends complexes. It sort of maybe transcends your nurture. It's kind of the thing that, um, generates becoming or the thing that brings you into wholeness quite naturally, mm -hmm. or the, the sort of thing that's like whatever regulates a sort of spiritual homeostasis mm. like what is the greatest balance of your being and the greatest balance of your being is some sort of strange nature where it's mm. like you were born to be someone yeah you were born to become someone in a perfect world you'd be this person mm. but you're not mm. for some reason yeah. your complexes are all pathological and screwed yeah. up and your archetypes you, this again not just one archetype but just you know 
a landscape of like archetypal interactions because what we're talking about is sort of the structure of of your being um the natural structure of your being that um those have not interacted with the world in a proper way and so the archetype of the self is trying to bring those into balance and that's why people over time are sort of aiming themselves at becoming something Mm. and finding what is right in their lives or like arriving again at sort of the mythological promised land or yeah. ascending into the perfect being, mm. which might be like the Christ figure. Right, right. Or the Buddha. The Buddha. Yeah. Or some sort of transcendent hero. Yes, I think we see the archetype of self in these mythic uh, figures, godlike mm. figures, uh, heroic figures. Yeah. That is in some ways the personification of the archetype showing up, the imago of the self in, in Jesus or in Buddha. Yeah. Or often, especially if we're looking at this through classic uh, Jungian uh, thought, mm-hmm. um, symbols that are circular, the mandala figure, or like fourfold, the quaternity, things that have a fourfold structure all evoke the self, which is mm. balance and wholeness. Yeah. Um, so this idea, something that's maybe driven um, man since really like the birth of consciousness is like, who am I and who am I becoming and why does there seem to be kind of different versions of me that I feel like I can tap into? You know, some might consider that the the first you know few decades of your life are building consciousness strengthening ego Mm. developing all of these experiences going through these challenges so that ego can be strong enough to go to basically like the the altar of 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 the god archetype of the self archetype the thing that's trying to really uh kind of egg you into that place of tension and challenge to fully realize who you are. And I think that's especially why uh, with with Jung's work, he realized that so many people around midlife started to go through these crises and needed to find themselves. And that often kind of materializes like really ridiculous things like, you know, divorcing your partner or mm. changing your job in some radical way, doing yeah. something really crazy because there's something driving people to suddenly realize like, oh my God, I'm not who I am am supposed to be and there's a pattern here and something's happening that's forcing us to realize in sometimes a very painful way that there's that there's more to us right so and this this brings us kind of back full circle to the notion of self right so there there is the the self of now right Mm -hmm. whoever i am now is uh, we might call it like the immediate self Mm -hmm. i am me now right here Mm -hmm. And am I who I'm meant to be? Mm. It's like, well, no. Yes, but no. It's like, yes, <laughs> I, you, you are who you're meant to be, but you could be more mm. of who you are. You could find yourself more. I mean, I'm curious if to like who who would say they're just like completely content in all ways. Like I've I've done it. I've achieved everything I want. You know, I'm I'm who I'm meant to be. It's like I think uh, if well, you're being radically honest with yourself, that no one quite feels that. But even if they are, even if someone is like, everything is perfect in my life, like it's like that's the ego talking. <laughs> yes, right? yes, yes. It's like the ego <laughs> maybe is just like things are great. 
Yes. Like, nothing's wrong, well, and yeah. I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve, and there's no need for me to improve or change or do anything. Right, well, and I it's think... It's like, well, someone from the outside yes, might disagree yes, right. and say, like, Because they see no, some shadow, right? I, like, I'm, I'm on the outside of you, and I can tell that, like, mm-hmm. you are you could be more than you are now, yeah. you know, or maybe you've, maybe you've arrived at some sort of mindfulness practice where you're just like... All is great and <laughs> all is fine and all is just everything is as it should be. Everything is as it should be, and it's like okay, well, you know, <laughs> fair, but I, I mean, and that we can get into Buddhism, and I don't understand Buddhism as probably as well as I should, but and that's a different story. But um, <laughs> to me, that's sort of like the ego is like finding a way to trick itself and right, thinking like, right, oh, right, right. we're good, yeah, no need to do anything. But yes. I think we all recognize implicitly even if we want to admit it that we do have this notion of no there is a certain place that you need to go there's a certain journey that you are on right. you're not who you're meant to be yet mm-hmm. you still have work to do yes and so when we say things to each other like um you know it's like oh like you've uh you've found yourself mm. it's like what do you mean by yourself right how did i lose myself how is that even possible or we might say um so and so is is disconnected from who they really are right or someone is like maybe you have a friend and they show up one day and they're like wearing like a really big gold chain Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like that's not you (laughs) and it's like what do we mean by that what are we we saying i mean that's like a silly example but still it's like we recognize this is like you're not being yourself right and it's like how am i not myself yeah like of course i'm myself i'm always myself right it's like no you're missing the point so the uh, the immediate self is sort of this notion of the ego yeah. often feels like I'm good now. Right. I'm good where I am. And, you know, Alyssa, like you as you right now, you are sort of the immediate self right here. But mm-hmm. it's like, but who's the Alyssa? Who is the ultimate self of right. Alyssa? Who right. is the potential Alyssa? And w- what is guiding you towards that? Yeah. Uh, we see, you know, what the current manifestation of all of these pieces are. But, you know, I think when you really do start to take yourself outside of ego consciousness, that you do realize that there are these other things that are at play and in amongst the dark, shadowy, you know, terrible complexes and everything else, there's something powerful as well, something that's trying to shape you. And I think, you know, for those who do... I don't know, maybe lack the awareness of their own being uh, to see that, you know, they need to challenge themselves and break out of the mold and address their issues that they say aren't there. That's the interesting role that neurosis plays for Mm. people. It's like the sudden outbreak of some sort of dissociation or issue, anxiety disorder, depression, um, somatic issues. It's like, what's wrong with me? It's almost like, you know, the self comes knocking and if you don't answer it the first few times, like things are going to start, you know, the pressure is going to increase and you might have something that's actually happening in your life that you're still ignoring. But if, if you think about it, you know, is there something that's been off, you know, for the last few months, for the Mm. last few years that you've just not wanted to turn towards and we don't want to turn towards it because there's something there that doesn't feel good, something that we rejected, something that we've left behind or something that we don't want to claim because the power of it scares us. And that's, that's part of who we are and turning Mm. towards it and trying to integrate it and understand it and, and build it into our being strengthens us and brings us closer towards that image of wholeness, not perfection, wholeness. And, and that is one step closer to the, 
uh, I don't know, the, the real you, the higher self. Right, right. The, the, the ultimate self, the, ultimate the, the potential self, self. The, the potential the, self. The true like self. All these, all these terms are kind of, you know, vague and confusing. That's, mm. And that just goes to show how, how weird of a concept the self is. It's yeah. like we don't actually even know what, what words to use. But, you know, if I'm looking at me or myself or whatever that means, um, I'm not perfect. And it does, that's not some sort of objective standard, objective standard of what someone should be. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm not fully me. Mm. Like, what, who's, who's the true RN? And um, are you there yet? Yeah. Have you arrived at the true RN? It's like, no, I haven't yet. Um, I'm still distracted. I'm still uh, angry. I'm still lacking a lot of empathy mm. a lot of the time. There's a lot of my shadow that I haven't integrated yet that I'm, that I'm avoiding. Um, I don't have a stable, secure station in life yet. I'm still sort of scrambling around trying to figure out where I belong and how to, um, support myself enough to raise a family and have my own place to live. There's all these things that are like, these are not in balance. Mm. And so like the true RN is a real thing. It's like, you can't reach out and touch it, yeah. but it's like, it's this future RN, it's this potential RN that's there yeah. that's calling me and that's different than the immediate RN and this is true for all of us there's something that is um if we're willing to turn our gaze in that direction there, mm. there is a a potential self an ultimate self that is out there that you are sort of waiting to become and um a lot of our notions of spiritual practices involve trying to get there Now it's time for a dream from a member of our audience. This is from a 41-year-old male. And here's the dream. I am locked into a fierce battle with some sort of rabid animal. I do not have any weapons. I am fighting with my hands and wrestling around. I can tell that the animal has some sort of magical quality to it, like a legendary creature that could cast magic. We continue to fight physically, and I never see it use magic. After struggling for some time, we break apart. We both seem messed up. I realize my left hand is hurting a lot, and someone walks into the scene, saying they will heal the animal. I am unsure if they will heal me as well. When I wake up from the dream, I realize my left hand is in a lot of pain, and that I must have tweaked a nerve or strained it while I was sleeping. Mm. This is a very strange dream. Um, I don't know if a lot of people have experience with this, but, you know, there definitely is a correlation between experiencing something in the physical body or in like the conscious realm, the waking world that seems to seep into the dreamscape and, and become imaged and symboled and, and it manifests there. And, and here's a really great example of that. Yeah, I think a very common thing that people experience in dreams is, uh, having to pee and (laughs) that being reflected in the dream itself. I know this is like a common dream for me is, is running around searching for a toilet. Yeah. Um, and not being able to find one, which seems really silly. Cause it's like, why don't you just pee anywhere? <laughs> but, but in the dream, it's like, I have to find a toilet in order to pee and I cannot find one. And it's actually kind of like a, like a really agonizing dream. Hmm. And then I wake up and then I pissed myself. And so, no, I'm just kidding. 
uh, that, that's never really happened. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, sure. But usually I wake up and it's like, I really have to pee. Yeah. So there's sort of this reflection of the the real world, the material world yeah. seeping into the dreamscape and affecting what's happening. Yeah, I, I think the interesting question here was that if this individual was sleeping on their hand weird and throughout the night they're getting this pain and maybe they tweaked something or, um, you know, some nerve in their wrist is all messed up now, did that physical experience cause this stressful dream or was the stressful dream kind of, you know, playing out and then, you know, suddenly you know, there's an awareness of the pain in the left hand. And, and that seems to be an injury that was sustained in the fight. Yeah. Who knows, right? Hard to know. Yeah. Um, I think we're definitely not saying that getting injured in the dream results in the injury in real life. No, that's not what I'm saying. Out of the matrix or something like that. (laughs) It's like you die here, you die in real life. No, Um, no. It's just more about even contemplating the idea of when did like whatever is the dream ego, which is some level of consciousness, when it became aware of something in the physical body, did that happen while that dream was taking place? And then suddenly it was like, my left hand hurts. It's kind of an interesting thing to consider. Yeah. So as far as dreams go, you know, reality whatever we call reality when we're awake is sort of something that is projected on to the material world. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, we're actually creating reality as we walk through waking life. And so we're inferring objects as they come at us, which is why it's possible for us to infer the wrong object. Like we might think that a rock is a bear, for instance, like it's possible to happen. Mm -hmm. So we are projecting reality onto the we're projecting a map you might say onto the territory of reality and when we're asleep that's happening in a vacuum so we're still projecting a reality Mm -hmm. that's what dreaming sort of is maybe that's that's my theory but that we're projecting a dream world and we're creating dream objects as we dream that's sort of just being projected into a vacuum and um if we have a physical sensation maybe uh there's a song playing while you're sleeping. Mm. A neighbor is, is playing a song very loudly and that song is appearing in your dream. Yeah. Now it's affecting the dream. That means there's still some physical input entering the process of dream projection. Mm-hmm. The same way that physical input affects the waking reality projection. Sure. Like obviously we have like real input coming in from um, the material world that's helping us project reality onto it. And the same can be true for in the dream world where something like sleeping on your wrist mm-hmm. in a strange way is going to be picked up by the body and projected into the dreamscape. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of getting a little bit more into the dream itself, mm-hmm. there is a pretty like classic archetypal struggle happening here. Yeah. The hero versus the monster, the dragon, mm-hmm. this legendary mythical creature that seems magical in nature. Um, I think... Sometimes we think about shadow unconscious material and it's like, yes, it's scary and yes, it's fighting you. It's often imaged as some sort of, um, you know, animal or some kind of dark entity. But sometimes that unconscious material does have this kind of highly numinous spiritual magic like quality to it, Mm. which to me 
maybe even speaks to like whatever layer of that unconscious material that's kind of moving into consciousness has something in it that is both uh, maybe repulsing the dream ego, but also yeah. like drawing them into it because there's like, oh, there's some, there's something uh, desirable here, something magical here. Mm. And so that shadow figure, this, this rabid animal that the dreamer is fighting against also has some powerful um, aura to it as well. Yeah, it's interesting that there's there's several qualities about this animal that are kind of not contradictory, but sort of an interesting mix of things of, of it being sort of a like legendary magical creature, mm. um, something that like you would tell stories about yeah. the the uh, like the dragon or something like that, or the uh, the giant, something that. Uh, is more than just a wild animal. Mm-hmm. It's like a god animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the notion that the animal is rabid. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's the word choice. Maybe they mean that in a very explicit way, maybe not. But um, the idea of a, like, magical god animal that's also, like, foaming from the mouth, I think <laughs> is sort of an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. Of, uh, because we think of something that is sort of a legendary magical creature, perhaps as being something that's kind of like elegant, yeah, yeah, and definitely. beautiful mm-hmm. and classy in some way. But mm. if it's like also rabid, yeah, it almost to me evokes the idea that something that is a powerful manifestation of nature mm. and is usually a, a kind of like a higher ascended form of that. Uh, has been bit or something or mm. it has some sort of disease that is making it sort of um corrupted sure i mean consider this we've been talking about like this concept of the self mm. and um the kind of true self and that i think sometimes comes into the dreamscape as something that holds that legendary mythic quality to it so this dreamer might be especially you know at this kind of mid-age life starting to interact with contents of their own unconscious Mm -hmm. that is trying to drive that individuation process to have them recognize certain qualities inside of themselves to you know become who they're meant to be but there's a uh, rejection of it or it's shadow material so you don't want it to go anywhere near it and so there is an, a, a tension of opposites which is that I don't want anything to do with this but also I need it or also it's alluring to me so this dreamer really might be grappling with uh, the tension of becoming something that they really need to be yet not feeling fully ready All Right, there's a mirroring of some sorts here because they fight and they both seem messed up. Yeah. They break apart. Yeah. It's not as if anyone's won. Right. There's been a scuffle and yeah. the scuffle has resulted in a draw um, and sort of a net loss for mm. both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a feeling that um, the dreamer's injured and someone's going to come in and heal the animal, yeah. but not the dreamer. Mm. And that makes me wonder um, is, is that sort of altruistic? Like, it's good that the animal is being healed. I don't need to be healed. Or is there mm-hmm. more of a feeling of like, what about me? What about me? Yeah. Um, is there a feeling of being left for dead in some sense? 
Um, where there of, might be something in the conscious attitude where the dreamer isn't taking care of themselves, and yeah. that in some ways there's like attending to these other pieces, or mm. maybe their current conscious attitude is willing to have an internal healing figure come and kind of bring some um, some healing back to you know the legendary figure, but who they're imaged as doesn't get healed. So something for the dreamer to contemplate really is. Uh, their own uh, relationship towards themselves in this journey, and their own self-care, the the time they put into revitalizing and re-energizing re their own being. Mm. Yeah, I wonder th this uh, fierce battle, like locked in a fierce battle, an imbalanced battle where no one's clearly winning, yeah. does remind me sort of this um, um, uh, yin-yang mm. kind of thing yeah. or, or uh, chaos and order sort of, sort of locked in a battle. And even there's that... Uh, Legend of Korra was was something that I was watching recently, and there's like the uh, the story of like the light and the dark, the manifestation right. of like the god Rava of light, right? The god of light and the god of dark, and they're locked in an eternal struggle. Yeah, of good and evil. Of right? good and evil, yeah. and there's a balance there. Yeah, there's um, a balance. And that this person is struggling with themselves, and there's a balance in that struggle, and there's mm. sort of like maybe the conscious self, which is sort of the dream ego, is is locked in this never-ending struggle with like the unconscious mm. or an embodiment of the shadow perhaps maybe not the shadow because there's there's no feeling of like a monstrosity here that's going to devour or consume mm. you is there's a sort of a balance here and so it does sort of evoke this um never-ending struggle with self that ultimately ends with neither side winning and some care needing needing to be given to the non-ego part of this person and so definitely a dream that conveys this uh this becoming this development this sort of path of individuation that perhaps is happening inside the dreamer do you have a question for us do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze is there a topic you'd like us to cover we want to hear from you contact us through a submission form which can be found at our instagram page at golden shadow podcast or if you're listening on YouTube, you can find the link in the description down below. Thanks for listening. See you later. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow podcast. Thank you.